Welcome to God's Word Baptist Church this morning. This morning, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we've been going over these uh, 12 principles that we find in this chapter that Paul is outlining for the believers that really puts Christ at that preeminent point. And in order to put Christ as the preeminent in every area of our life and what we do, what we say, what we think, uh, we want to make sure that, that there are certain, if you will, environments that are akin to it, that are going to allow that to grow, that are going to cause that process to develop. And uh, as he goes through this, this Christian walk, he starts identifying certain things. We already talked about the first few verses, uh, got through uh, right there through about uh, verse 7 or so, I'm talking about um, some of these things. And I, I just want to briefly just mention here in verse 7, he says, in the which he also walked sometime when he lived in them. And what is he talking about? He's talking about those things uh, that uh, the wrath of God is coming on those children of disobedience in verse 6. And it's important to kind of point this out, that 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 Paul always wants to make sure that we understand where we've been. You know, in any journey, there is going to be a starting point. And when you start and you begin to head out in life, there's, there's going to be, uh, uh, you know, if you will, the frequent checks along the way. What's your progress? How well are you doing? You know, you go on some trip. Let's say you're going to go on a trip from one corner of the continent to the other corner of the continent, whatever it may be. You want to make sure that you're, you're keeping pace, that the progress is there, that it's supposed to be, um, that, that, that you're actually making forward progress. And you take a look at the GPS and you find you've gone backwards, then you're like, okay, something's wrong. Uh, so there, there's something that needs to change. And, and the same is true when we as believers reflect back on it. Now, I, I want to be very careful here and very cautious. The sins that we have committed that are forgiven are not to be revisited in such a way that we are beating ourselves up over them that we're allowing them to have dominion in our life, to allowing them to, uh, if you will, control our thought processes, thinking, I've done so much stuff, what's the Lord going to use me for? Things of that nature, uh, none of that. That is not the way that we are as Christians supposed to be. That sin is no longer has, that sin no longer has dominion over us. But it is imperative that we as believers understand that before we started this journey, this walk with Christ, we were walking a very different route. And where that route led us was, or was going to lead us to was a devil's hell and, and a pit of torment and just a, a generally awful place to be that God doesn't want anyone to go to. But we were, we made that choice. We decided to go that path. But along comes Jesus Christ and changes it. Just like Paul on the road to Damascus, where he's going to go persecute some people. God stopped him in the middle of the way and said, hey, you, you know, why, why, why are you fighting this? And it's an amazing thing to think about Paul's conversion and what he was talking about. Paul knew. Paul knew. Because when Jesus asked, he said, why are you kicking against the pricks? 
What he's basically saying is, why are you, you, you know, you, why, why are you refuting all of this stuff when you know it's right and the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, you know, he's right. You know, he's right. You know, he's right. You know, he's right. But as we take a look at this passage, it's imperative that we understand that we come from a place that was not pleasing to God. And the reason why we need to kind of understand that is so that we don't return to it. That's the concept. We don't return to it. Uh, if you will, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 1 and 3, or 1 through 3, he says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's before salvation. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Not according to what God's directions are, but this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Basically being a disobedient child, if you will. In verse 3 he says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And he says, this, this is what we were beforehand. This is what we don't want to be. And he goes through and he starts talking about what we are now. We're children of light. We're children of God. We're sons of God. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we're adopted by him. We are no longer children of wrath, children of disobedience, and chi- children of the devil. That's a person that is unregenerate. And while that sounds harsh, the fact is, is that that's the way people operate. They, they, when they go about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the lusts of their minds and all of those things, the end result is they are choosing a path that is contrary to the path that God wants everybody to walk in. You know, Peter makes that clear when he says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Take a look at another passage, uh, very similar to this over in chapter five of the book of Ephesians, chapter five. <clears throat> And he, he, he's talked about all of these individuals and, and, uh, if you will, these, these, these actions that are not what God, what pleases God. In verse three, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named, uh, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Now let's understand that's commandment, by the way. That's not a, that's not a, a, a casual suggestion. It shouldn't be part of your life. It shouldn't be something that somebody can walk up and accuse you of. You should be free from those things. And he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now again, he makes it very clear here that these are things that should not be present. Foolish talking, again, we can kind of go along the lines with that, which is, uh, the, uh, what a fool is. A fool is somebody that has said in their heart, there is no God. It's a person that behaves as if God is not present. So foolish talking is essentially cutting God out of your conversation. He says giving thanks. Well, if you're going to give thanks, it means you have to constantly be giving God thanks. 
not giving thanks to other men necessarily or, or women or, 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 you know, whoever it may be, but to give thanks to God. So what we find here in this passage is he's saying, look, you know, somebody that's foolish talking that has essentially cut out all communication about God and you couldn't determine whether or not that person was saved or not, that's a problem. That shouldn't be part. He says jesting. Now look, you know, there are people that goof around and they joke around and things of that nature. But I will tell you this, you've got to be very careful with that. You've got to be very careful with that. Because sometimes you don't know exactly who you've offended. And if you've offended somebody, that's on you. Not on them because they got offended. That's on you. So we have to be very careful with that. We have to know who we're talking to. We have to be considerate who we're talking to. We have to make sure that 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 type of, if you will, banter is going to be okay. There are certain people that I don't dare joke around with at work. Because they can't, they, they don't understand. Nor can I expect them to understand. There are Christians. I don't dare, I, I, I don't dare casually crack a joke or anything of that nature. I want to be very careful. Because when we're talking about jesting here, we're talking about the borderline, if you will, that, 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 that very, very delicate line between acting like a fool and acting the way God tells us to. Back in the medieval day, days, they would call a person that would come and entertain them, they would call them a fool or a jester. Nowadays, we call them actors and entertainers. <laughs> Just being honest. Just being honest. So when we think about this for a moment, we've got to be very careful. And this is why it's very important to have a mind that is very cognitively responsive. Meaning that we're thinking about what we say. Not only is it going to please God, but is it going to be edifying to that believer? If it's not going to be something that's edifying to the believer, we got to be careful. I mean, you want to be careful about walking up to somebody and just flat out saying to them, hey, you're a jerk. Just kidding. You know, you may not get the just kidding out before you get socked in the face, depending on the person, right? So we have to be very careful about that. Because that's an individual that, if you will, instigated something. So again, God's saying, I mean, because if you go through the Bible and you read the Bible, God's got a sense of humor. And I will tell you this, I've seen God having a sense of humor in my life. You know, all of these things that that go on after a while, you just kind of like, you know, there's things that you laugh at. And God is not one of those, he's not a God that sits there and he's like, you can't have any fun or, you know, anything of that nature. That's not who he is, okay? We get immense joy by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're happy when God is our God. I mean, God makes it pretty clear happiness and joy is an important part of the Christian life. To be walking around like we just sucked on a whole bag of lemons is not Christian, okay? Okay. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. 
whether it's a bag of lemons or it's a bag of Sour Patch Kids or whatever it is, warheads, you insert whatever it is in there that gives you that pucker. You know, and I'm sure, you know, today as I'm, you know, going around, I've got one eyebrow raised and the other one squinting at it. I probably look like just, you know, some mean old cuss that's walking around looking for somebody to pound. But, you know, I, there's not much I can do with my face currently, all right? And my face is my face. But, but I will say this. I got to be careful about who I talk to. And this is, again, when you were, before you were saved, people really didn't give a care about how they communicated with other people. As a believer, you should give ultra-specific care to how you talk to believers and the lost. Because you got to remember, we're a witness, We're a witness for Christ. But again, he mentions this because he's saying, look, these people, you know, you're not supposed to. And in verse 6, he says, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of his disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. This whole eye thing is causing a lot of photosensitivity. So yesterday, I, I just, I, I, I kind of crashed. I, I just decided I wasn't going to do anything. And I just laid around in a dark room and kept my eyes closed to help this thing heal so that I'd be at least somewhat respectable today. Um, and, you know, just, it, 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 it's difficult when you walk around with your eyes closed or when you're trying to do stuff with your eyes closed or you, you, you're trying to navigate in the dark or do things of that nature. One of the, one of the things that uh, people began to, to do is they thought, oh, it's great to go out for these night hikes and they would go on these night hikes. Look, night hikes are about one of the dumbest things you can do. Uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of critters that like to be out at night. And they're not necessarily friendly to the humanoid forms. Um, you know, that little kitty that's coming up to you is not wanting to pet you. It's wanting to eat you. Okay? I mean, you know, the cougar, uh, the, even the lynx and things that are around here, bobcats and and uh, and other nocturnal creatures, they, they don't have your best interests at heart. They don't want to be friends. Okay? Uh, that also being said, we've got a lot of trails that are, well, on the side of a cliff. And it's not a good idea to do that. And somebody decided to go night hiking in the gorge one time. And pretty soon people lost contact with him and they decided to go up. They found his car. They found his campsite. They were trying to find him and they found him at the bottom of a cliff. Because he decided to go walk off in the middle of the night. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. You know how dangerous that is when we as believers do that? To our spiritual life? When we decide to go walk off into darkness, we start deciding to dabble in with these things that he just said, don't, you shouldn't have any partake, partake of any of it. That's not what a children, a child of light does. He says, if we're children of light, what do we do? We walk as children of light. 
We have the light from the word of God and from him himself. Why would we want to risk anything otherwise? It shows us where the traps are. It shows us where the devil's snares are. It shows us where the cliffs are. It shows us where, if you will, the roaring lion that's seeking to devour us is. It shows us all of that. It's only when we choose to walk with blinders on or put a blindfold on and not walk as a child of light, we get ourselves into trouble. Again, let's not go that direction. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And you find that that, that Paul, again, reminds believers several times, hey, this is where you were. In verse... uh, uh, verse, um, Well... You start off, you know, in verse 19, he goes through the works of the flesh. And there's a long list of that he goes through all of these things. But in verse 21, I want you to see the last part here. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying these individuals that were doing these things and were involved in these activities that are unregenerate, don't have a chance at eternal life. Now, we do, but that's the reason why it should not be named among us. Because we have eternal life. We should not be behaving in such a way. We should have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the next part that we see in this chapter. But again, he reminds us, saying, look, we did this before. We were those people beforehand. This is what we operated by. We don't want to deal with that again. We don't want to operate in that that that, that, circum, uh, those, that environment. Turn over to First Corinthians again. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter six. And uh, again, take a look here at verse nine. He says, know you not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But here's the important part. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says, we're different now. We have the righteousness of God. We're not considered with the unrighteous. Why would we want to do works of unrighteousness if we are considered righteous in the eyes of God? That goes against the very nature of who we are now. People are like, well, I've still got that sin nature. Well, your sin nature is supposed to be put down daily. The only reason that nature crawls back up is because we refuse to put it down. We refuse to put it off, which he gets into in the next few verses. Go back over there to to Colossians chapter 3. And here we find this third principle that he's getting at. This third principle is now this. He says, but now ye also put off all these. Put off. There should be something that you consciously do. The action of putting off and putting on is something that should be done consciously. 
Not on autopilot mode. Because then that gets really weird. (laughs) You consciously put on clothes this morning. You consciously take off clothes. You choose clothes to put on. You choose which clothes to take off. There's this process, and Paul uses that physical process to relate to the spiritual. And he says, now these are things that if you want Christ to be preeminent in your life, you need to put these off. Get rid of them. Put them in the donation box. And actually don't, because you don't want anyone else to have them. Burn them, whatever it is, get rid of them. And he says this, but now ye also put off all these, anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, he gets very specific here with these set of, uh, 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 if you will, of actions. Because these actions, there's a root that these things that, that, that God gives us, if you will, certain things that we are to operate with, to operate by, and he doesn't want them misused. Communication is one of them. God has given us the ability to communicate. We should not, in any way, shape, or form, allow any filthy communication to come out of our mouth. Anything that's dirty, he does not want it spoken. Now, now when we start looking at that, and again, people will start talking about, well, there's cursing and things like that. Okay, we can choose those kind of, if you will, uh, simple sins. But let's go a little bit further. Let's take one step further. What else would God consider filthy? Anything that does not have the presence of the Holy Spirit involved. Anything that has not been washed by the water of the word. Anything that is not holy in the eyes of God. Anything that does not communicate the love of God and communicate his principles. So that opens up a whole slew of other things. Filthy communication would also be considered gossiping, tail-bearing, false accusing, um, sometimes accusations in general. Um, I mean, just uh, communicating, if you will, as he's talking about here, in anger and in wrath. Now, anger, again, is not sinful. But it shouldn't be our default method. As we talked about, our default should always be mercy. Our default should be meekness. Our default shouldn't be, you know, I want to go pound the living, you know, tar out of somebody just because they, they, they made me mad. That's the wrong kind of mindset. If you will, bitterness is also in there. I mean, we can start adding a lot more things that, that go into, if you will, filthiness. Why? Because they're unclean. They're not what God would say is clean. It's not clean communication. It, it doesn't. It doesn't glorify God in any way, shape, or form. 
But as we look at that list, we see a lot of it is communicative. Anger communicates stuff. Anger communicates that you're not pleased with something. Wrath communicates that you're now, not only are you not pleased, but you are going to try to, if you will, rectify the situation on your own. We start talking about malice. That is just because the way that people communicate, just because they, if you will, hate a person. We've got to be very careful with that. You go over to the book of First John, and John makes it very clear uh, that, that God is not akin to that type of stuff. I mean, there are people that are running around right now that are saying some of the, it goes right into the next part, blasphemy. Some of the most blasphemous things communicating all of those things, anger, wrath, malice, and filthy communication in a form of blasphemy, saying that a person that was a, that's a homosexual can never trust Christ as their Savior. I don't find that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the list that we just read over there in 1 Corinthians 6 says, such were some of you, meaning that they are now changed. Well, I guess they forgot that verse. That's what happens when you don't study to show thyself approved unto God. There's a problem. And that whole group, you know, they're, they're all written off as, uh, as uh, you know, uh, horrible individuals, and they're going to all die and go to hell and things like that. And, and I don't find that in Scripture. I tell you, every man, woman, and child needs to be witnessed to. They need to have the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to them. And we're living in a day and age where that's not that common anymore. People don't know who Jesus Christ is. Little kids. There are people in this church that have asked grandkids, do you know who Jesus is? And they go, no. That's a terrifying thought. I mean, it used to be everybody knew who Jesus was. They just choose not to, to, to accept him. In this day and age, he's so far pushed out of everything that the only thing they think he is is a curse word. Yeah. Now, all of this stuff needs to be put off. And that is a cognitive, conscious, purposed process. Because we are not to have these things on. We need to make sure that they are taken off, that they're done away with. Take a look at a couple other passages. Take a look at Romans chapter 13. We were just there not too long ago, Romans 13, and we're going to hit because there's a lot of parallels that Paul's making here in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and in verse uh, uh, 12 He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Why would we want to continue in that? You know, the closer we get to the end, the more we should shine brightly. But what I find is, is I find that, if you will, churches in general, in order to preserve themselves, begin to dim the light. They compromise. The word of God is the word of God. 
Everybody needs salvation. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no free pass when we get to heaven that God's going to go, oh, just kidding. God's going to go, oh, well, I'll give you one more chance. Well, your chance is right here, right now. You don't know what's going to happen three seconds from now. Meteor could come out of the sky, wipe out this entire building. Just like that. Everybody's standing around going, wow, what happened here? Would we have a home in heaven? Would we be in presence of the Savior? The only way that we can ensure that is if we trusted Christ as our Savior. He says, now, in this case, why are we wanting to put on these things? Why are we wanting to keep this going? Closer we get to the end, it becomes more important that we continue to cast off the works of darkness and continue to put on the armor of light. Because I will tell you this, the armor of God is pretty bright. Because the armor of God comprises specifically elements of Scripture. All of those pieces of the armor of God are based out of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you don't follow what the Bible says, you're going to have a hard time fighting any battle. Any battle at all. That's why he says, put on that armor of light. Take a look at another passage, and let's go over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, here we are talking about putting off. And as I've said, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, these three books really have a lot of ties together. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, we call it the great chapter on communication. You want to know how to communicate effectively in a way that pleases God? Follow the principles in this chapter. Deviating outside of it will lead to disaster. But Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 22, he says this, He says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. We have to put them off. Yeah, we still have this flesh. We still, you know, there's still that, 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 that wheel that exists in us that desires to, to do what we want to do. And, 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 uh, if you will, sometimes actually sin in in ways that uh, God has specifically forbid we, we gotta we gotta realize that has to be put off meaning it has to be a conscious decision that we do every single day no i'm i'm not going to do that i'm going to put that off that that is not who i am why because there's a new man there's a new creature And he goes on and he talks about that as we go through the rest of this chapter, chapter 3 of Colossians. But in Ephesians 4, again, we find find a putting off. That's what we're supposed to do, put off. And and if you will, as we go back over there into this chapter in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 9, again, we were going to get there in just a minute. In verse 9, he says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. 
So Paul is making it very clear. There's a lot of things you need to put off. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you have to put these off. Now, we need to make sure that when we put them off, we keep them off. And if they are put back on, we take them off again and we get rid of it and we put on the armor of God. We put on the armor of light. We put on Christ. That's the concept. As we look furthermore into this, into verse 9, which we're moving on, we look at the fourth principle, which is lie not one to another. So here he just talked about filthy communication and anger and wrath and malice, blasphemy, things that we kind of look at and go, oh, okay, okay. But now we get to lie not one to another. Lies should not be part of the Christian lifestyle, okay? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people that, that do lie about certain things. Uh, people lie to children all the time. Yeah. Don't lie to your kids. That, 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 that just doesn't do. And I'm not talking about when you promise to do something and something comes up and you can't do that. I mean, obviously that happens. It's not considered lying, but I'm talking about, and look, I'm just using this as a general, if you will, statement. Don't tell your kids Santa Claus is real. Please. That takes away a lot of the glory of God and what Christmas is really about. Don't tell your kid there's an Easter bunny. Because there isn't. Don't tell them there's a tooth fairy. You're like, well, those are harmless. No, they're not. A lie is a lie is a lie. You know, things go on in your life. Be open with your kids. Let them know there's stuff going on. Be truthful. But don't lie. We as believers shouldn't lie to each other. You know, we and lies have become such a, a, a commonplace in society today. People will walk up to a person and, and stick out their hand to, to, to greet somebody and say, how are you doing? And their world has just been blown to smithereens. And they're like, I'm doing great. And just like, um, I don't think so. Be honest. Say, hey, you know what? I really could use some prayer. Hey, I'm going through some tough stuff. Hey, I don't feel well. You just shook my hand. You probably should wash it. <laughs> you just be honest. You know, people ask me how I'm doing, and I, I try not to be one of those, you know, those people that's like, you know, Eeyore, and everything's like, oh, you know, woe's me. I'm not trying to be that kind of, a, you know, concept or something. But, but look, somebody asked me, I'm like, yeah, I'm in pain. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I got stuff going on. But I will say this: God is still good. 
God is still who he is. And regardless of whatever happens with all the stuff, I, I got to trust him. Did you know what? People don't want to hear stuff like that. Why? Because it can affect how they think. You know what people just want to do? People just want to grip and grin and see that you're quote-unquote all right and then move on to the next one. They don't really want to listen. So we get into the habits of just lying. Don't do that. You know, as believers, we're not supposed to. There's religion that, 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 that condones lying to those that don't believe the same way. They actually say you need to do that because they need to be deceived so that you can destroy them. That's a very dangerous religion, by the way. I'm sure you probably know which one I'm referencing. But I will tell you this. God, does, God expects believers to be truth tellers. Go over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and again, very, very, very similar passages here. Not only did the Ephesians have these problems, the Colossians had these problems, the Philippians had these problems, everybody has these problems. In verse 25, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, exactly what he just told them. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. As the body of Christ, we shouldn't be lying to each other. That only causes problems. But, let, but let's get real specific here. There is a put off and there is a put on in that verse 25. If you will, there's a replacement. Every, every sin that you stop doing should be replaced with a godly activity. There's no question about it. It must be replaced with a godly activity. So when we look at this passage, he says, stop lying. But he doesn't stop there. He says, stop lying, speak truth. Because when a liar stops lying, he's still a liar. But when the words come out of his mouth that are truthful, he starts moving away from that title of liar. And he becomes a person that is a truth teller, becomes trustworthy, becomes an individual that is speaking, if you will, the oracles of God, truth from the word of God. That is a person you can trust. But if they begin engaging in deceitful activities such as lying, that really really creates problems in the body of Christ. It creates divisions that ought not be there. Right. Creates cancers in the body of Christ. It creates health issues in the body of Christ. It creates stumbling blocks to other believers. Back over there in, in, in that passage in verse 9, he, he, he sees that, you know, this is essentially necessary to call it out as a separate principle. This is the fourth principle. The third principle is that you need to put away certain things, or the third principle found in verse 8 is you need to put off certain things about how we behave and about how we act. But very specifically here in verse 9, not only is there lying 
that needs to be done away with, he makes a connection that it's part of the old man's nature. It's part of what, 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 what the old you used to do. It's part of, if you will, what is a sinful nature. That nature needs to be put off. We need to put on a godly nature because we are created in Christ Jesus unto godliness. That's supposed to be what we're doing in this day and age, acting godly. And to act godly means we act the way that God would have us act, the way he's instructed us to, his behaviors, his thoughts, his words. And he makes it clear here that this fourth one, he says, where he says, lie not one to another, he makes it very, very, if you will, an important principle because of how it is connected. Over in John chapter 8, when there was this debate between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ, the Pharisees start getting nasty. They start calling Jesus a Samaritan. He's filled with devils. I mean, they, they, they just started going awful on Jesus Christ and, and just saying horrible things. You're basically calling him an illegitimate child and all sorts of other stuff. Now, again, you know, as believers, you know, if somebody calls us that, we, we, we have a tendency we want to retaliate and things of that nature. And what, the way that Jesus responds is not retaliation because he can see right into the heart. He doesn't just, res- he, he doesn't resort to name calling. He resorts to saying exactly what their heart is thinking. And at one point in time, he says, ye are of your father, the devil. And what does he call the father, of their, their father, the devil? What does he call him? He says he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Murderer and a liar from the beginning. Over in Genesis chapter 3, the devil lied. You know what he did? He murdered. He murdered. You know what the devil did even before that? He stood up in defiance of God and lied and said, I will be like you. Knowing full well he'll never attain to that. The only way that he can attain to that is to pull God down. And God does not play in that manner. God cannot be tempted. His nature and who he is prohibits. But what we find is, we find that that is a very devilish, satanic form of communication lie. We must ensure that it is removed from our speech. Take a look at what he goes through in the next part in verse, in verse five. And, and, and again, this is the important principle that we see it. There's this putting off and he's just described several things that we need to put off. But in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new man. So we put off the old man with his deeds. We need to put on the new man and we have put on the new man. That new man is with us. 
That new man is part of us. That new man is our nature, if you will, and should be what we do. The problem is, is we still keep the new old man around for, for whatever reasons. We shouldn't keep it around for the memories. We shouldn't keep it around for posterity. We shouldn't keep it around just because we're being nice. No, that old man crucified on the cross, leave it there. Don't go back to it. But the reason why we don't go back to it is because we have put on something else. And he says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, this is an important part. That new man has a very specific image. And that is Jesus Christ. And that means that, that, that our mindset, our heart, and what we are doing and what we are saying should be 100% Christ-like 100% of the time. Now, that's a difficult task. The only reason that we struggle with it is because the new man keeps hanging around. And we have to continually put it off. Continually be cognizant. The only reason that we allow the old man to creep back in is because we're not cognitively aware of what's going on. Christians need to be thinkers. Go back over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 Where in verse 22, he said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And what does he say here? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Yeah, it's going to be a try, but you have to be righteous and you have to be holy. God's telling us to do this. But as we look at this, this this new man, I want you to see he's renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, the mind is connected directly to the heart. Because we we, we have a tendency to say, well, the, the, the mind is where thoughts originate. Well, Jesus Christ said thoughts originate in our hearts and are filtered through the mind. So what we look at it with our heart is, you know, as what it's thinking, as if you will, the mindful process... We need to make sure we change it. Romans chapter 12. Got to mention it. Verse 1 and 2. And what do we have to be? We have to be transformed. We're not to think according to the ways of the world, but to think according to the will of God. What is God's will? What does God want? What is God asking me to do? How is God going to provide and do all of these things so that I can accomplish this? Looking out for his provisions, looking out for his care and his compassion and everything that he does for us. We have to change that mindset. And that's what we need to do here, which in verse 10, back over in Colossians 3, he's saying, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that is created, that created him. The more knowledge of God that you stuff in your head, the more knowledge of Jesus Christ, the more knowledge of the operation of the Holy Spirit, 
the more you're going to be familiar with his processes and how he works in your life, and he's going to be guiding you and directing you, the more you are willing to listen, the more you're willing to be affected by his word, the more righteousness and holiness you will do. So you need to change your knowledge base. You need to change your knowledge base. Sometimes you have to do that. You're doing research and you go through and you start researching something and you look at the knowledge base and where you're pulling information from, what do you find out? That knowledge base has been corrupt. That knowledge base has been corrupt. There's a lot of that that goes on. You know, Bible students and seminary students, they run into that frequently. You know, they're going through and they're looking at stuff in the Greek and they come to find out the, the Greek dictionaries that they're using, they're corrupted. Man changed them. They have to be careful. The same is true with us. While we may not be studying Greek, but what we are to do is study the Word of God, we got to make sure that we use the right knowledge base if we're going to know who God is. I don't want to use a knowledge base of what the world thinks God is. Because I'll tell you this, they think some pretty crazy stuff about God. That's not true. So we shouldn't enter into that, 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 that knowledge base. What do we have to do? We have to put on that new man. Over and over again, he tells us to put on the new man in Ephesians 4 and Romans chapter 13 that we saw. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, put on. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. All of these things that we see. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We'll close here in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 5, and he says here, you know, obviously in the first part, don't be drunk, don't be asleep, you know, while, uh, while God's doing his work, all of these things in verse 8, he says this, but let us who are of the day, those children of light, if you will, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here he is talking about it exactly the same way he was talking over there with the with uh, the Ephesians about putting on armor of God. So he's told three different churches that they need to put on the armor of God. It's an important principle. But as he makes it very clear here, there's certain things that are to be put on that that breastplate is comprising of faith and love. Faith in Jesus Christ faith in God's word, faith in who he is, faith in his works, and love, a love for Jesus Christ, a love for God, a love for his word, a love for believers. That helps protect your heart. That changes the way that your heart thinks. Faith and love will change the way your heart thinks away from selfishness and sin. And he says right there, and he said also something else to be put on, and he says, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need to walk around reminding ourselves, I am a saved, born-again child of God. 
I don't do those things. The helmet is supposed to protect the brain, which is where a lot of the, the, the nervous processes, you know, operate. It's critical. You can't live without a brain. As much as a society looks like it can, it can't. You can't live without a brain. And God makes it very clear in the Christian life. You can't live without the correct kind of mind that is the mind of Christ. This is what needs to be put on daily. So far, we've made it through these five things. We looked at the the, the three of them today in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. But next week, we'll take a look at verse, uh, verse 12, which again is another put on. There's a lot that a believer should put on. They should put on the mind of Christ. They should put on holiness and righteousness. They should put on Christ in general. They should put on the armor of God. And here we go into some very specific things that he wants us to put on. And as you see here, they're very, very specific where he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. A list that is very similar to what we find over in Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah. But very specifically, it's how we respond to other people. And we'll pick that up, Lord willing, next week, but we're out of time for right now. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to Strive to please you and, uh, and Lord, that our aim and our goal would be to bring you glory, honor, and praise. As we think on these things, as we meditate on what we've learned, that, Lord, we would put off those things that displease you and put on those that please you and bring you glory and praise. Thank you again for those that are here, and I pray, Lord, you just continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.